0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is Standing in Two Worlds with Dr. Sam Juni in Yerushalayim. I'm Avram Kivilevich here in the United States. Both in Eretz Yisrael and in America and throughout the world, we are recording during the days of Hanukkah. And unlike the other Uh, holidays that uh, Jewish people celebrate, Uh, the image that we have of the Jews, whether it's Passover, uh, where they are being led out of Egypt by the power of God and his powerful agents, or it's standing and hearing the the power of God at, at, at Mount Sinai, giving them the Torah or it's being taken care of in such a beautiful pastoral way that God took care of us uh, in the 40 years in the desert that celebrates Sukkot. Um, Hanukkah gives us an image of the Jewish people in a way that's different. We aren't just relating to people who are connecting to God and sort of absorbing and understanding, but we're actually talking about people that are proactive and in many ways proactive in a unique way style the style of battle the style of resistance as much as everyone knows about the miracles of the eight days that the oil lasted what is just as prominent and perhaps more prominent especially for our israeli friends is the idea of the battles that were won the incredible guerrilla warfare the jewish brains and ingenuity so I think more than any other time of the year when we think about what this these days are supposed to inspire within us especially and let me just add parenthetically there are rabbis that say that that's what one should do even when the when the hanukkah lights are burning one should familiarize themselves with the story of hanukkah and the story is really about resistance aggression battle victory um, and, and, and perhaps even more, uh, I wouldn't call tawdry elements, but elements that are sometimes difficult to reconcile with the beautiful, pristine elements that we have from the Bible itself. So, Dr. Juni, this is really a time that I think it's worthwhile to discuss this other image of ourselves. Our holidays give us a sense of something uh, elevated but this is an image of something different this is an image of something that it perhaps might be noble and courageous but also it isn't just acceptance and understanding but it's also i will kill you because of what you are trying to do to me and i will resist to the death and i will bring you down and i will actually be successful in killing you and driving you out and this is something which i think is leads us straight into your area, which is the area of the fighter, the aggressor. Why don't you take it up from there?
1: So let me just say that in a sense also you're touching on the modern image of the contemporary Israeli who is no longer a victim, who sees himself as shaping his own future and the future of our nation. So you're feeding into that as well, perhaps as a, a as a reincarnation of the Maccabee spirit.
0: Hundred percent. So. I think that's one of the reasons why uh, Hanukkah took off in Israel in such a strong way in the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. in ways yes. that in the United States we were still buying Hanukkah presents and saying, "Hey, don't forget about us during Christmas." The Israelis actually were investing it with a lot of uh, a lot of their own mentality.
1: Indeed. All right, so let me let me talk about the semier side of things. So um, talking about aggression as, as such from, a, let's say, a psychiatric or psychological perspective, and again, just um, for full disclosure, for those of us who may not have been here too much in our formative broadcasts, um, I am primarily psychoanalytic and I'm rabidly Freudian. So that's just a full disclosure of where I'm coming from. Um, so the thing is that, uh, let's just start with an anecdote. Okay, so I've had a mother come in to me and say that she's had a horrible experience with her kids and doesn't know what to do. There's a three-year-old Moishi. She caught him with a safety pin trying to poke little Esty's eye out. And is not a year old yet. And she was quite alarmed. Um, sounds quite scary. And to, like, what's going to happen with Moishi? What have I brought into this world what kind of maniac will this be and I said nah that's perfectly normal aggression is perfectly normal and that that's accepted um, throughout mental health not just by um, by uh Freudians or by psychoanalysts that we are we all have a significant do- dose of aggression that's given that's there now there is a theoretical question as to what the function of aggression is um, Most people who are not very psychoanalytic um, take the perspective that aggression is basically a reaction to perceived danger. In other words, that naturally speaking, a child or a person or an adult or any human being doesn't have a, a drive to hurt others or to try to um, uh, um, get on other people's nerves, or to insult them, or to put them down, or whatever form the aggression takes, but just they use it as a way of staving off threat. And of course, their perception of threat may not always match what society perceives as threat. So let's say, if the little Maishi perceives that his little sister is a threat to him because she takes away the parent's attention, or he uh, can't just... Stopper from ripping up some toy that he has or a thing it has, he perceives this as a threat. So, our job as parents, let's say, is to basically socialize them and say, look, that's not really a threat. Or even though it's a threat, we still have to have consideration for other people because they have as much a right to be here as we do, et cetera, et cetera. And you can easily extrapolate to what that means for adults. So, if somebody feels like pushing ahead of somebody online, or feels like um, uh, shoving somebody at the garretish or whatever. So, if we are not part of that social milieu, we say, Look, I understand you want to get your shrayim, or I understand you want to get your bank checked out earlier, mm-hmm. or you want to check out your groceries because you have to go to the bathroom or because your parking meter is going to expire. But this is not the right thing to do. We don't say, what is wrong with you that you have this kind of need to actually do something that hurts somebody else just to get yourself ahead. Because we understand you were doing it Because of a a situation of experience, you have to get somewhere. But the fact itself that you want to just say, hey, cut it out, shut up already, let me get to my point. The fact that you want to do that is not pathological as such. So that is the the simple explanation that doesn't involve going up too much of a theoretical um, limb as to where aggression comes from. Um, Of course, people who um, go across species, anthropologists, will say this is precisely what happens to animals as well. Animals are rarely aggressive as such towards each other. They are aggressive when they want to get whatever it is they need for sustenance. Otherwise, they won't get you. Um, A point of contrast is the notion that aggression is an inborn trait that's there not just for reasons of experience. In other words, that people are naturally aggressive and hostile. That's not to say that all people are, because people also have various kinds of motives or motifs that we would call pro-social, like the idea of, um, um, let's say, affiliation, the idea of trying to be productive. There are all kinds of things that people do, and this is not a negation of that. It's just an assertion that there is a distinct tendency among people to be aggressive, to hurt other people, and not... To order to get what they get, what they want, only because it's just there. And that is basically my particular perspective. First of all, because I've studied it well, but I've studied the other perspective as well. It's primarily because of my own clinical experience. I find that people are aggressive and hate and do evil things, not only for reasons of experience, but because it's just there. Now, I'm not going to get into the metaphilosophy. Why is it there? I'm not going to do Hakira, why God? put it there for us, or why, according to Darwin, evolution would dictate that we have that kind of a drive. Let's leave that alone. That's not my specialty, and it's not even my, my ideas that I want to get into, but my position and the position of quite a few people who deal with people who are disturbed is that aggression is a given.
0: So if that some is of, true, if, 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 yes, I understand. Pres-
1: and i will
0: continue yeah i understand and i and i think that uh, this is a perspective which isn't going to sit so well uh with many people but let's i'm going to grant you your perspective and that's part of the reason why we have this program is because your perspective comes from your uh your studies and from what you've seen uh empirically so what would if if this is true dr j that we all have in various degrees this need this, this, this aspect of aggression that it's more than just an aspect. It's really something that's, that's part of our nature and it's character.
1: Ba- it's, it's basic to the personality of human beings to have a drive to hurt others in conjunction with other drives that we can discuss if you want
0: to right but sure so so well, it, it, since we know and, and as you said, intellectually, we also realize, and this is sort of like a group collective intellectualism to understand, hey you know you, 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 society works better when we relate well and we respect boundaries and't we don 't we don't let that we don 't let the aggression be unbridled and attack others. Otherwise, you're not going to have a cohesion. So I would assume you admit this was, uh, this was uh, an attempt to sort of like uh, mold and keep in check the aggressive aspect, right? This aggressive nature, right? It, 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 society has worked out, whether it's in terms of law or in terms of what's expected social behavior, has uh, neutralized in a way or at least done something uh, to keep that aggression in check, right? And i
1: want and, and, to throw in another person, which is important, in that it's not a matter of keeping aggression in check. Um, any psychologist, any mental health worker realizes that there are positive implications to the aggressive drive, so long as it's utilized properly. So if, for instance, Freud would say that by design, by purpose, we have an aggressive drive because it can be sublimated, not only to protect yourself when somebody wants to take away your cave or your money or anything like that. The, the way he sees it, without the sublimation of the aggressive drive, there would be very little initiative and very little progress of humanity especially towards Freud's ideal of being a pro-social humanity. So what you have is competition, you have invention, you have the uh, um, drive to challenge givens so that we can come up with more creative ways to help ourselves, to help other people, to advance science, to advance a more sophisticated way of behavior. So it's not just something to, to contend with, it's something to mold and use in a positive way. As an example, sexuality can be seen as a drive, which can be quite a problem if it's left unbridled. But yet, if we socialize, we have society, and we have um, um, uh, procreation, and we have attraction of people. The couple is attracted in part by sexuality, but of course, it's molded. Nobody will say, oh, we have to get rid of this sexuality. No, we want to keep it, and we want to socialize it, and in Freud's terms, sublimate it from something that can be harmful, both to the individual and to his or her associates to something that's very useful, ditto with aggression. Without aggression, we get nowhere. And you as a rabbi, I'm sure I'm familiar with quite a few of the citations that I can think of in the Talmud, which talk about aggression as something that's positive and is used in a pro-social way.
0: Yeah, well, right. And I definitely have some of them in my pocket here, but I actually was um, thinking uh, when you were talking about the idea of uh, taking this aggressive part of us, or our, our essence of us, and distilling it, and shifting it, and you know, putting it into other areas of human endeavor, I was thinking, of course, about uh, the vaccine uh, for polio, where we had Salk and um, yeah, Salk and Sabin's incredible. Um, Competition with each other. There was a uh, there was a lot of backbiting between them. And although Salk eventually produces the vaccine, uh, there was uh, the sense of competition, which I think you'll agree has an element of this aggressive factor, which is recognizing that this other person might get the money, the glory, and I think that that might also be one of the reasons. Of course, a lot of it, I'm sure, was saving humanity, but. Part of it was most, again, I don't even know if it's part, most, I'm fumbling over which word to use, but the, 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 I would call it one of the miracles of Hanukkah of this year, and I'm going to get to the rabbinic citations in a second, of of, of, of our vaccine, of the COVID vaccine, in record time. Uh, and, uh, it, it, was it just for philanthropic reasons, helping the world? Part of it was the fact that uh, Pfizer or the other companies were going to make a tremendous amount of money. And that was one of the reasons that the government put so much money into it to dangle that stimulus of the stimulus. What would stimulate you? Oh, we're going to make a lot of money. We're going to be able to line our pockets and save the world. And that could have also really been part of sort of an aggressive competitive thing. You could see that in those, in those uh, drug pharma companies, the CEOs were saying, come on, we've got to beat the other guy. We've got to get this done. And that might be, would you agree, an element of the aggressive nature coming out in terms of helping the world?
1: Yes, I was going to say, I'm glad you added that last part. We're going to beat the other guy. There's something senior, here, let's say, between the companies. And also, I'm very familiar. I happen to have a very close family member who's working for one of the um, major vaccine companies in COVID. And what she tells me is that it's not just competition between the companies, but it's competitions within the company to show the other guy up, to show I'm better than you, I can do it better. And that comes from the so-called me part, the unsocialized part of aggression, but it's, nobody will say it's being used unproductively. And the CEO of the company says, great, So now we have two teams. Let's see who can like drive the other into the ground. And also just to pull a trick from ego psychology, if you want to examine the very process that's going on between me and you in this conversation, of course, we're collaborating to come up with a good program. But in a sense, we're trying to step on each other Mm -hmm. ever so subtly, right? And I'm saying, no, Rabbi, you got it wrong because you ain't no shrink and you did not spend 14 years (laughs) training. I am better than you. And you're saying, hey, come on. You know this stuff, but all you know is how to read it. Arts grow. I study it in the real text, and I can tell you, I know it. Of course, that's not the most prominent idea there, but it definitely adds some spice and vigor to our conversation. So don't knock this monster. It's a monster <laughs> that can be used very usefully. I do want you to get to your... Oh. The tram- yeah. okay? well, right.
0: well, I know part of the reason why is because you spent so much time In that venue, and I know what you were talking about, because we discussed this uh, in the wee hours in the morning when we were talking about sketching this program out, and you mentioned to me how the incredible um, competitive and aggressive nature of what we call Havrusah study, you know, instead of, you know, many people have this idea that the rabbinic College, the rabbinic school, is a sort of a monkish place of contemplation where everybody is, there's a certain calm spirit where you walk around and you just breathe in the the mountain air and you go and and you have your study time when you think about God. But we all know that really the dynamic of what a yeshiva is, is really a, a place where you take two young, bright men. You stick them in front of a page that is a puzzle, a page that has difficulties, a page that needs to be read and construed and analyzed and 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 vanquished, and then you put them both fighting over it, trying to figure out whose interpretation is right. Where does the comma go? Where does the quotation go? What is really being implied? And chavrusa only works really if there's a yin and a yang, if there's two, uh, if if there is a, a back and forth, a, a chavrusa where one party is this sheepish acceptor of what the other person is saying and the other person is just saying, this is what it means, and the other person saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, I'm following that. Those chavrusas, those partnerships, rarely produce what we believe is a successful product. The successful product is really when these two minds get at it, each one with their own strengths, and each one arguing over territory. And as the Talmud says, based on this obscure verse in, uh, in Numbers, <laughs> right, Al Kenyomer be Hashem. This is what we say in the book of the uh, of the Wars of God, Hashem. Now, this is a strange book to be referenced because we. Had, so the Talmud says this isn't the strange book that's been lost to the mists of time. This is what happens every single day when you study properly. A war occurs, a Milchamos Hashem, a war where each party. But then the verse right after that says, es vahev b'sofa, some sort of strange uh, connection to some other place called Vahev and some sort of sof, which is some sort of uh, beachhead, The Talmud says, no, that is actually a a, a hint to the fact that despite the fact that they are fighting each other tooth and nail, the sounds are, as as you mentioned to me, Lakewood or any of the great yeshivos, if you put a microphone there during morning Seder, the, the decibel level would be through the roof. The way people are screaming at each other, the way people are saying, no, you're an idiot, you don't know what you're talking about that's not what it means running to the to the back of the room and finding the source triumphantly and throwing it down but then the talmud says when the bell rings and you're over there's a sense of love between you because you look at the other party and you say hmm i couldn't have done this without you i hated you back then i thought you were wrong and i was pushed to win but now We've sort of compromised a little. I was right a little. You were wrong a little. We both sort of got this now. And then you're supposed to close the page, go off to lunch, hand in hand with love. So I think that is what you were referring to when you talked about, um, and I I hope I've encapsulated it in the way that you wanted me to do it.
1: Yes, precisely. Basically, what I'm saying is that the dialectic of the analysis is powered by the sinister forces of aggression, which are sublimated—I'm sorry for using such jargon—but that's what it is. The sinister forces of aggression are channeled, so they come up. with a great competition, as you were talking about, the way the chavrusas are usually best friends. I mean, I've had one of um, my sons' chavrusas set up him and his daughter—you know—and and, I'm sorry, him and my daughter with different people which is kind of exciting. And as you were talking about that kind of love turning, I'm sorry, hate turning into cooperation, I'm thinking precisely of how the final committee at Pfizer must have looked when they got their approval. And you had guys who had been yelling at each other, insulting each other, trying to undermine each other, finally saying, we did it. And I don't know if we could have done it without this kind of insane competition going on. So
0: sure, yes. Yeah. What what I would also add, and I, is that, and, and, and here I'm gonna anyway, like you say, exhibit my in, in Hebrew we call it amaratzus. You know, they they say that um, the you know an amaratz isn't just a a a, a fool um, who knows nothing. And amaratz is somebody who thinks he knows something, who has a smattering of knowledge in areas, and then speaks up and is just, you know, uh, just a bumpkin. So I'm going to use, I'm going to display a little amaratzes here and say that I think that uh, another great Jewish thinker, Karl Marx, would have said that this is part of what drives a certain this capitalism. In other words, the the, the idea of Putting the lining the pockets of the CEO of Pfizer and securing um, you know a salary for all those biotech workers, they were also driven what was driving them it wasn't part of it was to survive. They knew there was going to be money at the end of the rainbow, and each of them would actually have a, a greater amount of cash than they had before if you If you would just say we need to save the world. We're superheroes, like right? we're the Avengers or the Justice League, and <laughs> we've got to save the world because we're the smartest people around, it wouldn't have happened. Maybe what you needed was the fact that there's, here's the money, we're not going to give money to everybody, but the person who wins will get this money. And I think that might be part of it as well, the idea of, 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 of how aggression might be connected to your, your financial and life situation.
1: Yeah, I'd like to give you another example that really comes from vocational personality psychology, and that is that when we evaluate people who are the best candidates to be policemen, that basically there has to be a certain degree of antisocial psychopathy there. In other words, the ideal policeman has a certain amount of um, antisocial tendencies that have not been worked out And if you want a policeman who's successful, you have to have someone who's willing to be um, oppositional, who's willing to get on people's nerves, and to be honest, gets a little bit of a kick by putting other people down or pushing them around. Now, you don't want a total psychopath who will hurt people maliciously or fabricate um, events just to get them in trouble, but you need a certain amount of oppositionalism, which is the the, the, um, almost iconic description of what sublimation is all about. We have certain forces. I mean, the equivalent to using sexuality for pro-social purposes. We're using aggression for pro-social purposes. Anytime you are in a position where you want to disagree with someone, there is an aggressive kind of resistance saying, hey, I'm going to insult this person. I'm going to hurt them. Think of a mother who has to punish her child, right? She has to summon up Her aggressive tendencies, because otherwise she says, "What am I doing? I don't want to hurt this kid. I love this kid." But then you have to use some of that, shall we say, aggression that runs against your polished human grain to say, "I'm doing it." So sure, sure. So, so really, the passive
0: policeman or the
1: empathetic
0: policeman uh, is not going to be effective. So this really needs, you know, we're talking about Hanukkah and other messages, but really this is another uh, issue which is on the table in such a great way, especially with Joe Biden becoming the president. There's been a a huge uh, upsurge for police reform. And part of that police reform was to to train the policemen or to replace the policemen with people who are more who aren't as in-your-face aggressive. Sam Juni is saying that's an experiment that's probably bound to fail. I think, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. I know you don't like to be pinned down about these things. Uh, let, let, let me put this into Hanukkah back. Again.
1: <laughs> another, just another example: if you want someone to be a sadran to be a bouncer, to control the traffic at a public event. You don't want Mr. Nice Guy. You want somebody to say, get out of there. You can't do this. You can't go over the barrier. You have to stay in line. No, you can't cross a red light. I don't care where you're going. I don't want to hear any stories. This is what you're doing. Otherwise, you're going to have catastrophe on your hands, which is what I feel might happen if, let's say, you know the, uh, the activists of the riots... In, in in the pro Biden uh, affiliation there, if they have their way, you're gonna have Tsaris. You don't defund people who are there to basically control our bad instincts. You need yeah. them there. No, you I'm know, sorry. I,
0: yeah, no, no. I think you know you're just to respond to what you're saying, and and it makes me. Uh, sort of wonder the the cop who's out there and 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 has that sort of in your face i I can't hear any arguments i've got to move on um please move away uh you know get behind the barrier um i don't want to have to ticket you i don't want to have to that type of you know give it you know showing his canine incisors i wonder when he goes home is he able to holster put his holster on the peg before he gets into the house is he Mr. Solid, sweetheart, uh, fellow? Is he able to bifurcate? Is he able to to somehow uh, put that other part of him away? According to you, Doctor J, he probably has this coursing within him, uh, and it might actually come out more often when he's home on his day off, enjoying his football games in front of the in the living room, than it would be for another sort of individual, right? He can't. So, yeah. comp-
1: The answer is yes and no. In other words, yes, that person has a higher degree of hostility than the non-good police candidate. However, he is not hostile at all because he's gotten it out of his system. So somebody like you or I, I hope, who are not aggressive people, don't need to every now and then punch or hurt someone, right? This person has the need to hurt someone, not to the extent of really hurting him, otherwise he would fail, the uh, uh, the uh, psychometric test for police, but he has just enough so that we have something to pick on that he can then use adaptively. But once he gets that out, he can be the most gentle dad, husband, son, or whatever it is he does at home, or she these days obviously can be that way as well. But he needs that vent. I would say that this is a two sided deal. It is a blessing to route someone who has a just enough of an antisocial tendency into work that allows them to get rid of that. I can tell you something that's heavily Freudian that has to do with dentistry or orthodontistry, which is basically that these people have a certain degree of pleasure from hurting other people even though they're doing it in a pro-social way. And they can thank their lucky stars that they happen to be in a vocation that allows them to do that, just as people who have a need to be superior can thank their stars for being teachers or being professors because they get it out of their system. But these same people, would they not have that sublimation exit would be more keyed up and more likely to act out inappropriately in other situations. And I believe that there are some references, again, talk about Amaretz, I'm, I'm a star Amaretz when it comes to Talmud, but there is something about um, um, people um, being channeled into being like slaughterers sure. or butchers if they have evil tendencies. So it's recognized right. years before. Yes. whether well, you're
0: because right. The, Tal- the Talmud in, 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 I think, Masech the Shabbos, talks about, and again, they believe that being born under certain star sign uh, would indicate a certain elements. And I, I'm not sure if I disagree with it totally. We'll talk about that no, in a different I disagree, class. I
1: but I do see that just as, an, right. as a, that, a, a phrase of personality. No, no,
0: no. It's, it's, it's quoted often, and it talks about people who were born under the Mars star which was considered an aggressive one, become a shochet, become a, become a ritual slaughter, and it does speak about uh, this mm-hmm. idea and, and you 're right it does exist there you know i 'm just wondering and again, I want to try to get us back to hanukkah, but i 'm going to you 'll see my inventiveness here. I know that many fine People's whose last names are either Cohen or Katz, people who come from the Kohanim, the priestly line, are are, uh, if they are Orthodox, are many times prescribed from being doctors, of being surgeons, um, because of the contact that they will have with unfortunately people that would die and therefore they are advised despite their uh, abilities to think and 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 the the strength of their hands and how uh, how they can hold their hands uh, very steady and and have the gumption and courage to perform surgery they are actually advised to go into other fields of medicine primarily the dental field and i think that's one of the reasons why there are so many kohanim who are pushed into if they <laughs> want, into dental fields and you know where i'm going already and i'm happy so even though you're talking about these dentists who are Uh, who have a little bit of a sadistic (laughs) aspect to them. And and I'm going to say parenthetically, I think part of that sadism is the way they browbeat you about you have to floss and what's going on with you. And I can't believe how bad your teeth are. You know, all these ways of putting the person down as as you have your mouth open and you're not able to respond. And that definitely is a sign that many, many dentists have and the enjoyment they have of having someone bound with their mouth open. And especially if they have a shot, then they can't talk. But many of them are Kohanim, I think, in the Jewish, in the Orthodox world. And I think it gets us back to the Kohanim of, uh, the, of, of Hanukkah. The, the Kohanim of Hanukkah, uh, the, the Hasmoneans, the Maccabees, they were all from the priestly sect. And we know during the time of uh, the first temple, uh, they were basically the passive uh, uh, gentlemen. They were the ones who would spend two weeks in, in, the, in the temple, although as you say, uh, Dr. J, they, maybe they got their aggression out and slaughtering and watching the animals being pulled apart. But in general, they did not interact as, as powerful bullies and pushing people around. One of the things that occurs, of course, uh, they are the ones. Matis Yeahu, Matthias, he's a Cohen. His father was one of the Kohanim Gedolim, or his grandfather was, and he's the one who, as we know, decided to start this thing by killing another Jew who had been sub- who was submitting to the, the alien culture, who was leader of the uh, the assimilationists. We call them the Misyanim, and from that moment on, the priests became something different. The Kohanim, <laughs> their, their descendants became dentists, but the original ones that we're talking about became fighters, warriors, and then governors and kings. And we know, and I, again, let's, let's, we have this is a lot to chew on, but perhaps some of the issues that the Hasmonean dynasty ended up uh, having might have been the fact that they might not have had this thing in balance. All of a sudden, what was unleashed was this aggressive battle nature. And now that the war was won, their their record of government is is very shoddy and ugly when you look at it, at least from the records that have survived. So yep. I know you have a, a response to that.
1: Uh, I don't have a response. I just have a pet peeve against dentists that I have to get out. Okay. I seem to about them browbeating you about flossing or whatever, what I'm most upset about is that you're sitting there at the dentist chair, your mouth is immobilized, and this guy is carrying on with the most inane, bigotry, racism, and I just keep going, ah, you know, and it's not because I'm hurting, but because you're making me wretch with all your crazy ideas but he has me there and he can just talk and talk and basically browbeat me with his opinions and that like freaks me out to no end so that's just a a curious aside but in terms of the the Maccabean heritage I mean they actually deteriorated into horrible literal backstabbing of brothers against each other in other words once as you say once this aggressive um, um, energy was summoned up and you no longer had the pariah of the Greeks to fight or the Syrian proxies, they basically went at each other. So that's what happens when you take someone and you, you take a dog and train them for dog fights and then there's no dog to fight. I wouldn't want my kid to be in the same room with that dog afterwards. I wouldn't want my stuffed doll on my couch to be there because that dog is going to go. So I don't think that people are that much different, at least in terms of this aggressive um, um, perspective.
0: So, I think part of the study of and just to wind this up as we sort of celebrate Hanukkah together is is to put these things in perspective and perhaps to learn from what the marvelous victories and the un, what human potential can achieve because it's clearly uh, the battles that were won and the victories that were secured were unmatched and are still giving us. Uh, not only a great sense of pride, but a great sense of inspiration of what we can still do and what we can still accomplish. On the other hand, um, you are warning us and, 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 and instructing us <clears throat> about how to keep these things in check, how to have the proper wisdom to have the balance. And this way, um, it's, it's never going to be tied up sweetly <clears throat> with a bow, just like our programs sometimes get a little bit messy. But I think we are able to at least know what it is that we're looking at and know exactly how to move further on from there. And perhaps we, as we hope to welcome not only a, a better administration in terms of Joe Biden coming in, but hopefully to end on a very firm note, to end with a, a return, of course, of the Messianic King that we all Orthodox Jews hope for uh, to come in make this world a better place. That's it for this week, my friends. Dr. J., have a wonderful end of Hanukkah, and to all of you as well. Take care, everybody. That's it. Be well. See you next week. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.